Baptisms are so inspiring. We thank God how he is changing lives. Two more people are getting baptized at our 1045 service and just more people turn into the Lord. If you're here today and you haven't been baptized, it's very easy. You just text baptism to the church phone number or at the connecting center. Let people know. Say, hey, I'm interested in getting more information about baptism and everyone that's been baptized. It's a joyful experience. Sometimes, you know, there's some nerves there because it's a step of faith. It's not easy. But when you honor God, God shows up and we would love to give you information about baptism. Our next information class as well. Real easy to get involved when it comes to baptism and taking the next step. Also, I want to highlight that March 8th, it's a Wednesday night, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we're going to gather here together. And I think what you've been seeing around the country is people gathering to seek God. We're in a series right now called The Kingdom, and there's a verse, Matthew 6.33, it's a theme for this series, seek first the kingdom of God and all these will be added. We are gathering together March 8th, 7 p.m. right here to seek God to spend time in his presence. So invite anyone you want to, you know, it doesn't have to be someone who's you know, at grace. It could be just a friend in the region. We're gonna gather together. For anyone who's hungry, seeking God, taking some time on a Wednesday night, it's gonna be seven o'clock March 8th. We're looking forward to that. And then also today, we're in Luke chapter 12. So if you brought a Bible, you can turn there or find it on your phone as we dive in scripture together. It's a joy to be in God's word and not only in God's word, but God's word in us. That's the goal. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking about the kingdom and he does so in parables. Jesus is teaching through his actions and also through his words. And he tells these stories, illustrations, metaphors called parables that give us so much insight into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your kingdom is personal, it's eternal, it's unshakable, indestructible. God, we thank you that every day your kingdom is growing. And we thank you, God, that you have kingdom plans for this morning right now. God, we pray that we would realign, recalibrate our lives so, God, we would honor and glorify you. God, forgive us of our sins, rebellion, and stubbornness. God, change our hearts today. Jesus, we're seeking you together, and we pray in your name, Lord. Amen. When you come to Grandma's house, you need to bring your appetite because Grandma has been preparing food for days. She won't run out of food. You'll have all the food you want. In fact, you'll be going home with food. You'll be going home with a lot of food. Does anyone have or had a grandma like that? There you go. There you go. A room full of people. Aren't aren't we grateful for grandmas? What a blessing. When grandparents spend time with grandkids, God shows up in special ways. We're so grateful for grandmothers, grandfathers, and what a blessing it is. When it comes to the kingdom, your appetite is significant. We all have an appetite. We have an appetite for things that are good, and we have an appetite for things that are bad. And a key in our walk with God is to develop the appetite for the things that are good and to diminish and extinguish the appetite for the things that are bad. What does your appetite look like today? Jesus has a way of doing a couple things with our appetite. First of all, he reveals it for what it is. You're not gonna surprise God when it comes to your appetite. He already knows what your appetite is. Jesus reveals it for what it is. He cuts through the spiritual and religious front that we like people to see, and he gets to the core. And then also he refines it 
in the right ways. God will change your appetite. You'll have a greater appetite for his word and for prayer and for fasting and for loving your neighbor and worshiping and sharing your faith. You'll have a greater appetite for the kingdom. God will refine it and refocus it to be all it's designed to be. An appetite is a blessing and there's a choice with your appetite. It's the choice of worship. And in this passage in Luke chapter 12, what Jesus is teaching and doing is revealing this man's appetite for what it is, refining it and refocusing it towards the kingdom of God. Now we're gonna focus on three aspects of our appetites this morning. And we're in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The first truth about our appetites is that selfishness and materialism include desires that destroy relationships. If your appetite is selfish and materialistic, it will destroy and undermine your relationships. We have a situation here where there's two brothers are in their dispute about the inheritance. You know what's interesting in scripture, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that at that time in that culture, the older would receive a double portion of the inheritance. And all of the firstborn in the room said, amen, amen. So it was not an equal distribution. We don't know the details here, but will you agree that things can get tricky and messy and hurtful when it comes to an inheritance? Have you seen that played out? Because there is the money aspect and then there are the possessions and who gets which things, especially if there's multiple siblings. And then you have the topic of the decision maker because there might be some things that, well, there was no will or things that weren't clear and there's decisions and details to be made. And underneath a lot of it, the kids are just wondering or the grandkids are wondering, am I loved more or less? And they wanna flex their muscles and it doesn't just touch on that moment, but it touches on a whole lifetime of how much have I been loved or not loved and how does this inheritance reflect that? Have you seen that played out? I have led funerals where the family is in strife over the inheritance. I've seen it in my own family where family used to get together for the holidays. Family doesn't get together anymore. And there's division and pain and it's all over this inheritance and this money and the control and the love. You know what's interesting in Luke chapter 15, there's a son. We know if you read the Bible, this son is the prodigal son who runs away and he demands, give me my inheritance. I want my money. I want my inheritance. Now the father's still alive and he takes it all and he runs after wild living. And the Bible says eventually he comes to his senses and he returns home to the father. But what was his attitude with the inheritance? Give me, give me, give me. And if you go through life with a me first, give me, give me, give me, it's going to undermine your relationships. We see this played out so many ways, so many times. It's happening right here in Luke chapter 12. You know, this man comes to Jesus because in the culture, they often brought disputes like this to the rabbis. The rabbi would settle the disagreement. What's interesting here is that Jesus says, no, 
I'm not going to endorse the envy that you have. I'm not going to placate the pride that you have. I'm not gonna go with your games when it comes to the inheritance. And Jesus flips the script. Let's say that together. Jesus flips the script. One more time. Jesus flips the script. When you read the Bible and in your own walk with God, there's gonna be moments where you say, wait, what? If you're honest and you're reading the Bible and you read different verses, you're gonna say, wait, what? And in your walk with God, when you're talking to Jesus and listening to Jesus and following Jesus as your Lord, you're gonna say, wait, what? And those are drenched in this parable. You can feel the tension. Jesus flips the script. The man comes to him with a cash issue and Jesus flips it and gets to the core issue. Sometimes you might come to Jesus with a cash issue and Jesus says, well, let's take a look first at the core issue. What was the core issue for this man? There was greed creeping into his heart. He said, give me the money and don't address my greed. Jesus says, no, we're not gonna go down that road. Also, Jesus teaches your money and possessions can't truly bring you life. That's a message for America. No amount of created things can bring you the life that is truly life. Wow, that changes a lot of stuff in terms of our goals, doesn't it? Well, have you ever just wanted Jesus to bless you and then he redirects you? Have you ever said, Jesus, I'm going this way, bless me real good. And Jesus says, no, actually you should be going this way. Jesus, bless my plans, my attitude, my priorities, my schedule. Bless the direction of my life because this is what I really want. And Jesus says, that's not best for you. I'm not gonna bless you. I'm gonna redirect you. And you say, wait, what? Those are the moments when Jesus flips the script. That's where your worship happens or it doesn't happen. But those moments where Jesus redirects you are some of the most testing moments. And Jesus over and over again in the Bible and in our lives will come back to these two words, follow me. He doesn't say, lead me. He says, follow me. And that's the difference in the Christian life. Some wanna say to Jesus, follow me. And some listen to Jesus say, follow me. And that's at the crux of what's happening here in this passage. You know, I think Mary, Jesus' mother, gives the very best advice in scripture. At a wedding, when there's tension and people are trying to figure out what to do and there's tradition and expectations and assumptions, Mary says it very clearly. She says, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. That's the wisdom she drops at the wedding. And she knows because, yes, there was a plan that she and Joseph had, but then what did God do? Showed up with a virgin birth and redirected them. You know, when you think about Mary's life, parenting Jesus, he was 12 years old and she expected him to be with the family, leaving Jerusalem, but he stayed in the temple and he told her, I have to be in my father's house right now. And she was redirected as a parent. When Jesus talked about his death and his resurrection and pain that would pierce her soul, this doesn't sound easy, but she got to the place where she could tell people because she believed it in her heart, just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. That's your direction for this week. Well, this man is trying to process all of it. 
You know, the minute you put things above people, your relationships will erode. Your appetite will be hijacked and your life will be jacked up. And if you stay on that road, you'll look back at the end of your days and think, why did I put things and money and possessions above people? And those priorities Jesus is focusing in on. Now, again, it looks like, hey, come into the rabbi, want my inheritance. A lot of people will try to manipulate. And this is how you get dead religion. You manipulate the Bible, the Holy Spirit, prayer, and Jesus to just get whatever you want. You know what people say? Well, I prayed about it. Well, did you pray surrendering to God or did you pray telling God he needs to just bless you? Because it's not clear, right? How did you pray? People can twist the Bible, try to twist Jesus's arm and get get Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father going in the direction that they want God to go. And that is at the crux of this passage. So Jesus brings straight, honest talk, deep talk about our appetites and what truly brings life. This man got way more than what he thought he was gonna receive. He wanted money and what did he get? He got the wisdom of God. As we hear this parable, let's listen to the wisdom of God. It's parable time. And from this, Jesus is gonna bring this parable that has a lot of scripts that are being flipped Again, let's honor God. In verse 16, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, the second truth about our appetite is the purpose of your blessings is generosity, not greed. Abundance can fuel the flame in your walk with God or abundance can extinguish the flame in your walk with God. It can fuel it because with more abundance, there's more resources and more opportunities to bless and help other people, love your neighbor, and spread the gospel around the world. At the same time, an abundance can give you a false security. It can lead to pride. It can, some people think they're better than others because of their bank account. And it can lead to a distraction, complacency in a walk with God in a lukewarm faith that's focused on material things. The abundance is not right or wrong. God blesses us. It's money's a blessing. This is not teaching that money's evil. Money is a blessing. But with money, it can go several different directions. Generosity either gets focused on ourselves internally or generosity gets focused locally and globally and it's exponential what God's gonna do. It's either internal or it's exponential. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, Timothy, who is discipled by Paul, is now leading. And this is what he's sharing with wisdom again from God about money and about life. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, amen, and we can take nothing out of it, amen, amen. That's the starting point and the ending point. 
So what do we do while we're alive? If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice it's the love of money. It's money becoming an idol that will cause all sorts of evil in our lives. Jesus flips the script again. And for the listeners and for American culture today, we say, wait, what? One more time. Because as the story is playing out, you can almost hear the audience as they're listening. You can hear the crowd. Jesus says, there's a good crop. And everyone says, yes, that's a good start. That's a good blessing, a harvest, provision, money. God is blessing, and that's a start. And then Jesus says, there's so much of a harvest that this man runs out of room. And everyone listening is like, well, that's a good problem to have. There's so much that you can't even hold it in your own house anymore. You got so much stuff. And everyone's saying like, woo, good blessing, good problem to have. Okay, what's the next step? And the man says, well, I'm gonna tear down my barns and I'm gonna build bigger ones, a bigger house. I'm gonna build bigger, bigger, bigger. And everyone says, good decision. Bigger's better. Bigger's always better. Good decision. Go bigger. You've got so many goods. Keep going, keep going. And in that culture, again, wealth and bigger is seen as God's favor. It's seen as security. It's seen as now you can impress other people. It's seen as now you'll have more pleasures. It's seen as now you'll be more comfortable than everybody else. So at this point, everyone's saying, woo, I like where this is going. I like where this is going. And then what's next? Well, this one who now has bigger, bigger, bigger declares, I'm gonna take it easy. I'm gonna check out. I'm going for the easy life. I'm gonna eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going for early retirement. And everyone says, brilliant, brilliant. This is so wonderful. This is great. Make it all about you and eating and drinking and being more comfortable and more merry. Early retirement, awesome. And what do we call this? We call this the good life. We call this, it's all you want. We call this the American dream. We call this happiness. And everyone's saying, whoo, I like this parable. This is my favorite parable, Jesus. Out of all the parables we've been talking about the kingdom, this is my favorite, favorite parable. And then what comes next? What does God say? Do you want to know what God says at this point? How many people want to know what God says? Okay, okay. God says two words. Everyone's saying, woo, the American dream, the American dream, the American dream. And you know what God says? Two words. He says, you fool. Ooh. And the mic drops, right? And, and you say, that's not what I expected. That's not what I wanted. That's not the kingdom I've been chasing. You see, what the man missed is that the more God blesses you, the more generous you should be. And the quality of your life now and eternally is linked to your kingdom generosity. This is a parable about an appetite for kingdom generosity. 
Now, David Livingstone, he's a Scottish physician, a rags to riches story, inspiring. He loved Jesus, against slavery, courageous, went to Africa and served, followed God's call, stepped out of his comfort zone. Here's a quote from David Livingstone. And he says, I place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept to promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time or eternity. In other words, stop and think what God has given to you, health and strength and jobs and talents and clothes and cars and houses and bank accounts and gifts and just think of the people and the relationships and the word and the Holy Spirit and just realize how much God has blessed you. And then out of that, let generosity flow like it's never flown before for the kingdom and glory of God. Because God's generosity and his purpose and his passion, that's what life is about. Not the possessions that you own. Not the selfish, me-centered business in our culture. That's a path of death, not life. And so Jesus goes countercultural, flips the script. Everyone's listening. And now how does he end this parable? In verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. The last truth about our appetite, be rich toward God and hunger for righteousness. Be rich towards God. This man assumed I'm gonna be living so long. And God said, no, actually your days are numbered. And the number's quite small. This man thought, I'm just gonna enjoy it all for me and myself and I. And God said, no, you're actually not gonna be enjoying it. It's gonna be given away to others. And you can't take it with you. Jesus flips the script again because so many people think they're gaining but they're actually losing. And then they look at other people who are living for the kingdom and they think they're losing, but actually they're gaining because first will be last and the last will be first. And this is kingdom economy and kingdom priorities. And it doesn't work how this world works. And Jesus is showing I'm countercultural. He flips the script. Imagine being so rich and wealthy on earth and showing up for eternity empty-handed. And why? Because not investing his life in the kingdom. You see, where there's generosity, there's actually freedom. And where there's the kingdom truth and the kingdom love, that's where lives are transformed and God is glorified. This is a passage about our appetites being aligned with God. And the shifts that need to happen in our hearts and in our minds. And Jesus goes so much deeper. Why does Jesus go so much deeper? When a guy just wants his part of the inheritance and he just wants a nice paycheck, why is Jesus going so much deeper? Why is there conviction that hurts, but it's out that helps? It's because Jesus loves this man. And it's because Jesus loves this man's family. And it's because Jesus loves us that he brings this parable for the generations and the nations. And we receive it together. 
be rich towards God. Oscar Romero writes this. Oscar Romero gives us perspective. He says, it helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's beyond our vision. That God would give us a vision today for the kingdom, a generosity for the kingdom, fresh vision. What does it look like? I see in the Bible, people who are kingdom-minded are so different. You know, Joseph was mistreated by his family and thrown into slavery, but he continued to trust God and God raised him up. God blessed him with so much. He became a leader in Egypt. God blessed him with so much finances, decision-making, leadership, and the people that mistreated him, he blessed them. He blessed his own family so that many lives were saved. He served a new nation. He served the tribes. He served all. Why? Because he had a kingdom vision. He wasn't selfish. He was thinking about the saving of lives and recognized what God did in the turnaround. Again, that's a kingdom generosity. Esther was an orphan and God raised her up to be queen. And as she was queen, she didn't just settle for the comforts of the palace, but she looked around and saw lives that were on the line. And she said, if I perish, I perish, but I will risk my life and my comforts. Why? Because there's people right now that are going to die And we need to step up. And she set an inspiring example why she's thinking about the bigger picture in the kingdom. And when the widow shows up and the wealthy people are there and Jesus is looking at the offering and the widow brings the two coins, Jesus highlights that she has brought so much more, even though her amount is so much smaller, it's proportional giving. She's brought so much more and she's gonna be an inspiration when it comes to kingdom generosity throughout all of our days on earth. Well, what about Paul? You know what Paul said as he became more and more of a leader and more of a church planter and more of an author of the Bible? And as God continued to open doors where Paul would serve God in new ways, you know what Paul said? I consider my life worth nothing. If only I may glorify, if only more people would come to know Jesus. Like, I really don't care that much about my life. What I really care about is what God's doing in his kingdom. And I'd lay my life down for that. Even if there's criticism and hatred, that's what I'm going to do. Because it's a kingdom generosity. When this woman comes up, and this is before Jesus's death, and there's an anointing to honor someone, she comes with an alabaster jar And the disciples are critical because disciples are always critical. And the professional religious people are always critical because the professional religious people just don't get the spirit and the truth. They're into religion. And they look at her and she pours out the alabaster jar. And they're just thinking, what a waste on Jesus. And she's thinking, what else could I give to Jesus? Because he's so worthy. There's not a doubt in my mind that I'm going to pour this alabaster jar and anoint him before his death on the cross for our sins. See, some people are casual and some are kingdom-minded. And when I think about the 11 of the 12 that were martyred and John stayed faithful, wouldn't that be a weird feeling to to have 12 martyred and then like you weren't killed? Wouldn't you kind of look around like, Lord, should I be killed? Uh, Did I miss something? Was I not bold enough? No, 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 you're running the right race. Your race is just different than Peter's. Peter was killed, you're not killed. Okay, then what do you want me to do? I'm keeping you alive so that you'll share with my people, you'll share with my family the future in what's coming. 
So I know you've written the gospel of John, first, second, and third John, but there's one more book. Some of you, you've 80%, yes, 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 but there's 20 more percent. You need to write this book. Well, this book is a different genre than I've ever written before. Oh, it certainly is. This book has images that I don't think I fully understand. Oh, it certainly does. This book right here, I'm starting to feel a little sick thinking about these visions. Well, sure you are, but you know what? Keep going because I'm in this. And what a picture and legacy of faithfulness that those close to Jesus continued in faithfulness to their last breath, whether it was murder or whether it was being an author. They continued, why? Kingdom vision. My encouragement to you today is be rich towards God. Be rich towards God. What does that look like? Be rich towards God with your time. That might be the hardest thing for you. Be rich towards God with your talents. Be rich towards God with a calling on your life. Be rich towards God with your words that build people up, with your witness that tells your story about the goodness of Jesus and how he's changed your life. Be rich with God when it comes to prayer and worship, when it comes to your finances. Be rich with God when it comes to loving your neighbor. Don't be stingy. Don't be self-consumed. Be rich with God. I'll close with this to encourage you. When I think about our church family and the legacy, by God's grace for over 70 years, we're being rich towards God. I believe that's why one reason why we exist today is because that's been in our culture. When you think about over 20 years ago, Uh, This building didn't exist, but you know what happened? There's a group of people who saw ahead, decades ahead, and said, we're going to give up. Maybe I could have built the extension. Maybe I could have built the bigger house, but we're going to give up some things so that we now, over 20 years later, have this facility to worship God, invite people in, and we thank God for the kingdom vision and generosity that we are the recipients. And we thank God for our church family stepping up and a few years ago, eliminating the debt. So we have no debt. Be rich towards God. And this is a great facility, but there's also work that needs to be done. You know, after 20 years, some things start to, you jimmy rig a few things to make it work on Sundays. And so, you know, being rich towards God, it does include giving in the budget. It does include invest in tomorrow. And that's how we roll out different projects. We want to keep moving forward. But this is not just like a financial message by any means. Being rich towards God, I'm thinking of a family that opens up their home for life groups. And then far beyond that, opens up their home constantly to build relationships with other people in grace. I'm blown away at how often they're just inviting more people they don't know over to their house, over to their house, meals, friendship, be rich towards God. Well, what else does it look like? There are so many people, and I'm just meeting uh, you, are, you are inviting neighbors, coworkers, friends, and family to church. And you're just inviting people. Why? Because you care about their souls. And then you'll bring up, and you'll bring them over to me, and I get to meet them. And, and I'm just blown away how many people right now are just inviting, 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 because God's changing lives through that. That's being rich towards God. What else? This is the sixth year now. We're walking or jogging a half marathon so kids overseas can have clean water for the rest of their lives. 
April 30th, Tacoma Half Marathon. Why? We want to be rich towards God. Uh, be rich towards God. When I say March 8th, it's a time to seek God. That could be a time at seven o'clock where you set apart in your calendar and say, I want to be rich towards God. I want to seek God. I want to gather here. I want to listen to God. When I think about uh, being rich towards God, there are three families right now in our church family that are in the process of adoption. Keep them in your prayers. We have an adoption fund to help those who are adopting and need help. We thank God for adoption. When I think of rich towards God, I think of there are some leaders who are gathering our middle school students and they might go out to dessert, they study the Bible, they go to games, sports games, but they look at their weekends and think, how can we gather the middle school students? Not a church program, just loving the middle school students, being rich towards God. I could go on. There's so many in this room who have served God faithfully for decades, who have served our church family for decades. I encourage you to find a spot to serve in this church and be rich towards God. Don't just come and sit down in a chair and just watch what God's doing. Roll up your sleeve, use your gifts, and serve to the glory of God. What does it look like for you to be rich towards God? How is God leading you? There's no pressure. There's no manipulation. This is a place where we meet with God. We listen to God. How is the Holy Spirit leading you? How has God spoken to you through this parable? What is God doing in your life? If God's doing it, it's good. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. You don't have to resist or harden your heart. There's freedom. There's freedom with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you what you're doing today as you speak to our minds and hearts through the Spirit and the word. Have your way. Whatever's good, whatever's from you, we say yes. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.